Well, good morning. How's everyone doing on this beautiful rainy day? Happy Memorial Day weekend. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so thrilled to be kicking off a brand new series this week called Half Truths. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to examine the scriptures and, and look at some little things that for many of us, we have believed are true because we've heard them over and over and over. We might even have heard them attached to a passage of scripture and we just automatically assume and believe that they are true, but perhaps at best, they are half-truths. So this could mess with your theology a little bit. Somebody say praise the Lord. We're going to have fun. All right. So let me give you a few uh, kind of common examples before we get into the word about some myths, myths that you have heard that may not be true. How about this? How many of you have heard we only use 10% of our brain? Yeah, that's not true. I know you know people that you think that's true. <laughs> but we actually use most of our brain and we use most of it all of the time. How about this one? It takes seven years when you, when you were a kid and you swallowed gum and your parents told you it's going to take seven years to digest that gum. The fear of the Lord, like I'm carrying so much gum in my stomach. But the reality is it does not take seven years to digest gum. The reality is your body cannot digest gum. But it quickly passes it. In fact, check out this picture. I'm kidding. Okay, we're not going to do that. How about this one? You've heard this one. You can't, kids, this was the worst. You can't go swimming for 30 minutes after you eat. Because you might get cramps. It's a lie. It's a lie. You, sure, your body uses extra blood to digest the food, but not enough to compromise your swimming abilities. So years and years, I missed hours by the pool in this 30-minute mandatory wait period. And I'm still a little mad about it, okay? But I'm trying to get over it. How about the five-second rule? Right, you drop some food on the floor. As long as you pick it up in five seconds, you can still eat it. I say, if there's food on the floor, pick it up and eat it. It's still food, all right? I mean, technically, they say it's not safe to eat food off the floor at all. But I think it helps our immune system. Okay, I can't prove that one. Here's a fun one. We'll do this as the last one. How many of you think that when you flip a coin, the odds are 50-50 heads and tails? That's actually not true. According to a study at Stanford University and, and thousands and thousands of quarter flips, they discovered that when you flip a coin, it's most likely to land on the face that it starts on. So if you start on heads, it's more likely to land on heads. If you start on tails, it's more likely to land on tails. So next time you're at dinner and you're flipping to see who's paying the bill, make sure you pay attention to where the quarter starts. Okay, now granted, it's only like 59, 51 to 49%, so there's not a lot in it. But if you're gonna play the odds, go with the odds of the quarter, whatever it's facing. Okay, those are some myths, some things that we've heard that uh, we've just believed because we've been told them over and over and over. We've heard them so much, we automatically assume that they're true. Now, not a lot of harm, right, happens when you believe that, you know, oh, here's another one. You go outside with wet hair, you're gonna catch a cold. Colds are actually caused by viruses in your body, and they could care less if your hair is wet or dry. Okay, it doesn't make a difference. One time, okay, one more. I got to do one more. We were in Poland, and my wife was sitting on a sidewalk on a curb, and she was sitting there on the ground because we were just in a, in a season of waiting for something. Kind of a, a mission trip theme is hurry up and wait, right? You plan to get somewhere, and then you just wait a while. And this older lady came over and started swatting my wife with a rolled up newspaper, like literally beating her and telling her to get up. 
And then we discover the reason was if you sit on the ground, it can make you infertile. <laughs> we got three kids, all right? Now, granted, one of them's adopted, but still, all right? So that's not true. But these things don't really affect our lives. But there are things that we believe that the Bible teaches that are also myths, or at best, half-truths. And what we believe about those things really does affect our lives. Because our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so what we think about really matters. And particularly when it comes to doctrine and theology and what we believe the Bible teaches. Because what we believe the Bible teaches informs what we believe to be true about God. And so over this series, we're going to explore a few myths, a few half-truths, such as everything happens for a reason, such as God helps those who help themselves. How many of you have heard this one? God will never put more on you than you can handle. Got bad news for you. That ain't true. But that's another week. I'm not going to preach on that today. Right? How about forgiving means forgetting? Or if you have a godly home, make guarantees godly children. Christians should never judge. There's all kinds of things that we've heard said over and over and over that we think are based in Scripture but actually are not. Sometimes they're just a, a, a poor interpretation or a, a not a full examination of what the Word of God says. So today's topic is everything happens for a reason. And we're going to wrestle with that and try to answer the question, does everything really happen for a reason? And if so, what is that reason? How many of you have ever had someone tell you, when you've gone through something hard or something difficult, something challenging, someone in an attempt to comfort you says, it's okay, everything happens for a reason. How many of you heard that? Okay, most of us. How many of you have said that, right, to others, right? Yeah, I know I have. I've heard it. I've said it. It's one of those things, all right, when life doesn't make sense and we're trying, to, we're trying to console people, we don't know what to say, so we just say something trite, like everything happens for a reason. We, we give a little Christian pat answer because we're uncomfortable with not knowing what to say in those moments. So we say something stupid. How many of you know sometimes it's better to say nothing than to say something stupid? Right? Better to keep your mouth closed and be assumed an idiot than to open your mouth and prove that it's true. Right? That was free. That's not even in the notes. You guys take that. Three years ago today, actually, my mom died from cancer. This is the three-year anniversary of losing her. And I had people tell me after she passed away, everything happens for a reason. And as a mature follower of Jesus... I listened to them, and I tried to take in the truth of what they were saying. And then I punched them in the throat for being dumb. No, not really. I just thought about it. Right? We don't, we don't mean harm, right, when we say that. We are genuinely trying to comfort and encourage. And, and somehow we think if we tell people everything happens for a reason when something bad happens, that it will bring some comfort. That at least it will bring some perspective in our pain. And so we use lines like this to try to help comfort others. But how many of you know we'd be so much better if we just did what the Apostle Paul said? If we just learned to weep with those who weep? Right? Paul said in Romans 12, 15, let us rejoice with those who rejoice. Let us mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes you don't need to say anything. Sometimes you just need to come and be with someone, to sit with them in their pain. 
everything happens for a reason. If we believe that, we can take it to some pretty silly extremes, right? How about this one? Honey, I, I know I forgot our anniversary, but it must have been the Lord's will, right? Because the Lord is sovereign and he's in control of everything that happens. And the fact that I forgot means there's probably something he wants to do in your heart, right? Right, we would never say that. We wouldn't believe that. I've heard this one. It was God allowed this affair to happen because now I'm in a relationship with someone that I really enjoy. I believe God let this happen to get me out of a bad marriage and into a good one. I've heard that. Like we can believe some twisted things based on our theology around God's sovereignty. And I want you to hear me very clearly. God is sovereign. He is ultimate. He is in control. He is absolutely the highest authority, right? I believe in his sovereignty and his providence. But this whole idea that he causes everything that happens for, for his will, to work out some intricate detail of his will, I'm just wondering about that a little bit with you today, all right? And I know this is going to mess with some of our, our theology because, you know, we're Presbyterians. We're like five-star Calvinists on our reviews, Right, we, we believe this, but I want us to examine some scriptures together today and see how they might lead us. So if you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to begin with maybe one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible when bad things happen. All right, Romans eight twenty eight, and we're going to read the rest of that chapter together. But while you're getting there, let me just open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. And God, we thank you for this moment that we can come together and, and study your word. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate your word in our hearts today. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are sitting in this room or, or sitting at home right now and their hearts are breaking. They're facing tragedy. They're facing circumstances that are difficult. The pain is real. Lord, I pray that today would be a moment of encouragement and hope. Lord, that your spirit would minister to us. Lord, that your word would instruct us. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, Romans eight twenty eight. It says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, we're going to come back to that one. That's a big one. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's an important question. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine 
or nakedness or danger or sword. See, Paul's not saying that when you follow Jesus, you're going to escape all of those things. The reality is we're going to go through some of those things. As it is written, verse 36, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Then he says this, but in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This passage doesn't tell us that God causes everything that happens to happen. This passage doesn't tell us that God allows everything that happens to happen. What this passage tells us is that no matter what happens, he is at work. And he will bring good out of all of the hard things that we face. You see, we often want to look for the reason of why we're going through what we're going through, why we're facing what we're facing. But God wants us to look beyond the reason to him, to him, to his presence. And they remind us that even though John 10.10 tells us that the enemy, we have an enemy, came to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but he came to give us life more abundantly. I believe that this this passage of Scripture in Romans 8 teaches us that no matter how dark the night gets, no matter how deep the valley becomes, no matter how intense the pain we feel, that He is with us, that He is for us, and that nothing can separate us from His love. Nothing can separate us. See, what Paul is telling us here is when life gets too much, His presence is enough. When life gets too much, his presence is enough. Everything happens for a reason. We've said it, we've heard it, we believed it, but today I want us to evaluate it. I want us to evaluate that thought and what we mean when we say everything happens for a reason. If, we're, if what we mean is that we live in a world uh, of cause and effect and that actions have consequences and that choices produce predictable results, then yes, everything happens for a reason. If we mean that God causes every good and bad thing that happens in order to teach us something or instruct us in something or, or somehow to work out his pre-designed sovereign will, uh, maybe a half-truth. Now hear me, I'm not saying that, that there's no truth in that. But I'm saying it might be a half-truth. And that's what this series is all about. So in order for us to understand what we mean when we say everything happens for a reason, we need to examine this doctrine of God's sovereignty. 
We need to understand what it means that, that he is sovereign and his providence, his provision for us. We need to look into that. God is sovereign. He is in control. He is the highest authority, right? He has dominion over everything on the heaven, in the heavens above and the earth below and the seas beneath, right? He has dominion over all these things. And so there's a different ways that Christians have dealt with God's sovereignty. And I want us to look at some contrasting views, okay, just for fun, just real quick, okay? Carl is in Hawaii today, I believe. Carl, I hope you're having fun and you're watching this right now. And I'm going to use some big words for you, okay? <laughs> so the first one is this idea of, of Calvinism and theological determinism. How many of you have heard the name John Calvin? Right? Most of us have heard Calvin's name. He was born in 1509 and was a brilliant lawyer, a theologian, and pastor. Uh, he was one of the most important figures in the Protestant Reformation. In fact, when he was 27 years old, he wrote his book, The Institutes of Christian Religion, which was not only influential in his time, but have affected Protestant theology and doctrine and thought for generations since it was written. And Calvin, uh, a cornerstone of his theology was this whole idea of God's sovereignty, that if he is the highest authority and he has dominion over everything in the universe, then God must will, or in some case cause, everything that happens to happen. Because, right, if, if something happens that wasn't God's will, then that shows that he doesn't have sovereignty or dominion over that thing that happened that wasn't his will. All right? That was the, the natural outworking of, of his thinking. All right. Is there some biblical precedent for that? Absolutely. 100%. You can see this teaching throughout the pages of Scripture. Now, that's on one end of the spectrum, though, when it comes to God's sovereignty. On the other end of the spectrum is this concept of deism. All right. Deism is more of the, the hands-off God. Okay, on the opposite end of that spectrum from um, uh, Calvinism, which and his idea that everything happens uh, for a reason because God has caused it to work out his will, is an idea of theological determinism, right? That God has determined what's going to happen. Deism is on the opposite end of that spectrum. And, and deism was really popular in 18th century America, particularly amongst the founding fathers of our nation. Uh, and deism simply believes that God created the world, that he put the laws of nature into motion, and that he gave humans dominion over what happens on the earth. And then he stepped back and put the whole machine on autopilot and just let it run. Right? So it's more of a hands-off God. It's more of a, I created this. I set up the laws of nature to govern our, our, our universe. And I've given humans dominion. And now I'm going to be kind of hands-off. I'm going to go do my thing. You do your thing. All right? That's kind of what deism believes at its simplest, at its simplest form. But I believe the truth is probably either somewhere in the middle or a combination of these two ideas. Because what we know from Scripture is that God is sovereign. What we know from Scripture is that he gives us freedom. That humans have a choice and that free will is a real thing. And what we know is that he chooses to work through people. Okay, so perhaps that reality that everything happens for a reason is true. But maybe the reason isn't because God made it happen, whether good or bad. Does God make things happen? Everybody say yes. Is God always at fault? Everybody say no. Okay. I tricked some of you. You just said it, and you're like, wait, I don't know if I believe that. Watch and see. Okay, here we go. So does everything that happens happen for a reason? Yes, but there are different reasons. Okay. Let me give you a few reasons. Some reasons that things happen, and I believe this, I've seen it, I've experienced it, I know it's true, is divine orchestration. God divinely orchestrates a lot of what happens. 
I believe that God is sovereign. And at any, any moment, he can intervene in the laws of nature. At any moment, he can intervene in your free will. At any moment, he can intervene and he can work and he can do something beautiful, right? We see this with miracles. Miracles are an example of divine intervention, Right? When God suddenly reverses what normally happens through science or the laws of nature and does something different. You know, when he, multipl- he turned water into wine, that was a good miracle, right? That was against the laws of nature, divine intervention. I believe that sometimes God orchestrates things and he sets us up. I believe in divine setups. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in God incidents. Right? That, that God sets things up, that God is, is moving things around and he's, he's positioning us for things that we can't yet fathom, things we don't understand, things we don't yet see. He is at work and he's doing those things. Uh, there's another concept that kind of goes with this whole idea of, um, of divine intervention where God just jumps in and does things, uh, divine orchestration. One of those is known, here's another concept for you, God's foreknown effectual persuasion. All right? God's foreknown effectual persuasion. Let me break that down for you. Let's say that God has someone at Chick-fil-A that he wants you to talk to. Maybe someone's hurting and someone needs ministry and God taps you for that job. How's he going to get you there? He could very well come in, in, in a vision and say, thus saith me, get off your butt and go to Chick-fil-A and get a chicken biscuit and I want you to pray for somebody in line. All right? That could happen. I've heard stories where something like that happens to people. Here's another way it could happen. You wake up and all of a sudden you have this this hunger for a buttery biscuit with a nice juicy chicken breast right in between. Right? Oh, Chick-fil-A sounds good this morning. I wasn't planning to go to Chick-fil-A, but maybe I should go to Chick-fil-A, right? And you get up and then you realize it's Sunday. How many of you have done that? I've poured in Chick-fil-A parking lot so many times on Sundays. It's, It's terrible, but I'm glad they do it. Okay, back to the story. I want that buttery biscuit with that nice juicy chicken breast, and I want to eat it. And so I get in my car, right? And, and foreknown effectual persuasion would say that God is the one who gave me the desire for the chicken biscuit to move me where he wants me to go. Okay, are you following me? So he's moving me, right? And then I'm heading down the road to Chick-fil-A over here, but I realize I also need a new hose for my garden. So I should go to the Chick-fil-A over there, right? Because, because that's where the, it's right next to a Home Depot. And, you know, of course, God knows that's where the person who needs ministry is, not over here. So God drops another thought in my mind that I need a water hose, right? So I go there and I turn my car around and I start moving towards this Chick-fil-A. And then I'm going to this Chick-fil-A. I think, you know what? I'm going to work first. I'm going to get my hose first. And then I'm going to reward myself with not one, but two chicken biscuits. All right. Come on, somebody. Chick-fil-A is not sponsoring this. Okay. And so, <laughs> so we, we, we go to that. We get the hose because God knows if we went to Chick-fil-A first, the person in line we need to talk to wouldn't be ready yet. So he, he gives us this idea to get the hose first, right? So, right, you see what I'm saying? And then you get there and you get to pray for somebody. You bump into them. This person's crying. You say, I think God led me here. You talk, right? So again, foreknown effectual persuasion. God can divinely orchestrate events that way too. Does that make sense? Sometimes God does that, but maybe not all the time. Sometimes uh, things are a product of human free will and choice. Sometimes, right, we, we have a choice to make and we make a choice. And sometimes we don't like the consequences of that choice, so we want to blame God for the results of the choice that we made because we think God's sovereign and he calls us to do the thing that we did that now got us into trouble. Is that making sense? So we got this, this choice thing. Uh, here's another reality. We live in a fallen world. I don't know if you heard that. Like Adam and Eve really jacked it up for all of us. And as a result of that, sin, sickness, disease, death rule our planet, are on our planet. And yes, we have authority over those things, but there's a reality that we live in a broken, fallen world. There's another reality that affects things that happen called human nature and, and, and you know, the way God designed our, our, our uh, cosmos to work. 
Like if someone jumps off a building, because of gravity, they're probably going to fall. Like could God stop it? Could he lift them up on, on wings like an angel? Yes. But they also could smash wide open, right, because, they, because of the laws of nature. It wasn't God, right? It was the laws of nature. Is that making sense? So there's all these different reasons for why things happen. And so let me let you in on just a little secret. Everything happens for a reason. But sometimes that reason is that you're stupid and you make dumb choices. <laughs> Come on, and if you can't hear the truth in church, where can you? All right? Sometimes that's it. Sometimes you just made a dumb choice, and now you got to live with the consequences of that. Don't blame God for your dumb choices. All right? You guys, you guys feeling me? Okay. Don't blame God for your dumb choices. I, I mean that in the most pastorally loving way possible. All right? Galatians 6 says it this way in verses 7 and 8. Paul wrote, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, then from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Right? So there's a, a biblical principle of sowing and reaping at work in our lives. The decisions and choices we make have consequences, and they impact the quality of our life. Okay, can God intervene at any time? Everybody say yes. All right, does he always? Apparently not, okay? Because I was fat for years, and I'm still working on it, but some of that was because of my choices, right? God didn't make me fat. For years, I just said he's just expanding my temple, right? He wants a bigger temple, right? But the reality was I just wanted to eat whatever I wanted to eat whenever I wanted to eat it, all right? We're working on that. All right, how about this verse? Deuteronomy chapter 30. Am I going too fast? Are we having enough fun? Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 30. God has given this to the, to the Israelites, okay? He's given them this choice. He says, This day I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. See, God instructs the Israelites to choose life. Now, why would God give them a choice if everything was fully scripted and already destined to come out exactly how God planned, right? God gave them a choice. God's sovereignty is real. Human free will is real, okay? There's a, a tension there, and these things somehow work together in ways that we can't always understand. But our choices matter, and this distinction matters. Because here's why. If we believe that everything that's happened in our life, good or bad, is because God was working out some prescripted, foredrawn plan of every detail of our life, if we think of theological determinism on this end of the spectrum, that God is absolutely micromanaging every detail of your life, then here's what happens. We get angry at God. Every time something goes wrong in our life, we blame God for it. Because we see him as directly responsible for the injustice we're facing or the tragedy that we're in. And when we blame God, there's a danger that our hearts begin to turn away from God. Here's another danger. We start to gloss over sin. Right? Let's be real. If, if there are no consequences for sin, if it's all going to come out in a wash in the end, right, then, then there's nothing to really promote the fear of the Lord in our lives and, and us choosing to live the way he designed us to live. Another thing that happens, another danger, is irresponsibility. You know, this, this spiritual urban legend 
when taken to an extreme, can lead to an epidemic of irresponsibility in the church. And we run through warning signs. We run through uh, cautions. We run through the Spirit trying to restrain us because in the end, we believe whatever God wants to happen is going to happen. I can't change it anyway, so I might as well do what I want to do. Right? We get to that faulty level of thinking. But Solomon told us in Proverbs 27, verse 12, that the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it, right? But often when the simple suffer for their own actions, they blame God. They, they play with fire, right? And then they complain about getting burned. Finally, I think one of the other dangers is misplaced hope. Because if we believe that, that every single thing that happens was caused by God, was his will, then when we find ourselves in really rough situations, we think it's God's will that we're there, and we settle into that place of spiritual stagnancy and pain and hurt. And we say, well, this is God's will, so I just have to deal with it. But maybe God has something else, right? Maybe he wants us to hope not in our circumstances, but to keep our hope in him. Once again, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, good or bad, joyful or painful, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Again, he's not saying that everything that happens was part of ultimately God's will or his plan. I don't believe, personally, that God gives his children cancer. I don't believe that God causes people to kill each other. I don't believe that it's God's will for someone to die in a tragic car accident. I just don't believe it. Could God be at work somehow? Sure. I've read the Bible. I see God's sovereign. But am I ever going to claim that this was, this was God's doing? Absolutely not, because I don't know. I don't know if he is, you know, orchestrating situations for his good for some reason I can't see, or if it's a byproduct of living in a fallen world, or if it's a byproduct of someone else's poor choices. As Christians, we recognize that sometimes horrible things happen. They're part of life. But what's more important is we recognize that those horrible things never have the final word. They never have the final word in our life. That ultimately God is victorious. Ultimately God uses all things for good. Ultimately God redeems. Ultimately God brings good out of these situations. I read this quote from a retired pastor whose name is Ray Firestone. And he said this. I love this. He said, suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it we may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequences of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes. But sometimes through suffering, his purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our life. Joseph's a great example of that. I don't have time to give you the full story of Joseph, but Joseph suffered. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, and God used that in his life in a powerful way. Now, Joseph never says that his brother's actions were good. Joseph never says that this was God's intent. But it does say in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that what the enemy intended to harm, God brought about good. God used those situations and those circumstances in Joseph's life. 
And just as it was for Joseph, it's nearly impossible for us to distinguish which of life's painful events result from divine orchestration, which ones he's planning to overcome in this earth, or which ones will simply be overcome in eternity. But in the meantime, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really matter why. What matters is how we respond to what's happening around us. Everything happens for a reason. Is this God's doing? Is this my bad choices? What is it? We know that everything happens for a reason. And I get so caught up sometimes thinking that, okay, as an eternal optimist, I'm one of those really annoying optimists that tries to find the silver lining in everything, right? Super annoying. Like, oh, you got a flat tire? Well, praise God for the three good ones, right? You know, not helpful, right? Not helpful in that moment. But that's what I do. I look for a silver lining. But I think that when bad things happen to us, there's something more important than looking for a silver lining. And I think that's looking for a path of obedience. How does God want you to respond? What does he want you to do in this moment? I think the bottom line is this. God never promised that everything would work out in this life. But what he did promise in Hebrews 13, 15 is that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That he will be with you. In Romans 8, 28, as we've already seen, his promises is that no matter what life or the enemy of our souls throws at us, in the end, his eternal purposes cannot be foiled. Right? He is sovereign. He is at work. So when it seems like life is falling apart and you can't figure out why and what is happening, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do in those moments? I'm so glad you asked. Get your pens ready. You're going to want to write this down. What do you do when life is hard? When you don't understand why bad things are happening to you as a good person, what does a path of obedience look like? Rejoice. Such a cliche pastoral answer. But watch me now. Rejoice. Paul said this in Philippians 4. Verse 4. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul had to repeat himself because he thought there's no way that, that you're going to hear this the first time. When life is hard, when life has knocked the wind out of yourselves, we need to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of sick, you know, Lord, thank you for my sufferings kind of thing. I don't think that's God, right? We praise God for the who, not the what. All right? We praise God for the who, not the what. We praise God for who he is, for his faithfulness, for his kindness, for his goodness, for his love, for his mercy. We praise him for the who, not for the what, not for the circumstances we're in. God, I ain't going to thank you that I got a flat tire, but I thank you that you're good, right? I'm not going to thank you that this is happening, but I praise you for who you are. You see, Paul wrote this, rejoice in the Lord always from a prison cell. Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote the book to the Philippians. He was chained to the side of a dungeon, okay? He was in a dark, dark place, and yet he understood that he still needed to rejoice in the Lord. So this isn't coming from somebody who doesn't know the pain that you're going through. He's been treated unjustly. He was serving the Lord, yet he suffered for it, right? It's easy then to think that, that God is, is punishing him or something, but he says, no, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. You might remember another time. See, Paul understood that he needed to rejoice because years before that, he was in Philippi. And guess where he was? Oh, he was in jail again. Homeboy got locked up a lot. So in Acts chapter 16, he's in jail with his, his buddy Sai, short for Silas. 
and they were following the Lord and, and doing what God asked them to do, and they were beaten, and they were flogged, and they were thrown on a cold prison floor. And, and you read about it in Acts 16. You guys can look this up later. You read about it and see how they were just full of self-pity. They were just whining and complaining about how they were treated unjustly. No, that's not what it says, right? In Acts 16.25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas woke everyone up because they were praying and praising the Lord in a loud voice. You see, prayer and praise were their strategies. That was their weapons. Even though they were treated unjustly, they prayed to God and they praised their God. And that made all the difference to them. How could they do that? I believe they didn't look at their circumstances. They looked through them. Right? They couldn't just see the immediate. They saw the ultimate. They were able to look beyond what was happening to them. And for us, we need to be careful that we don't let our mind and our hearts and our perspective get fixated on what's wrong, but instead we choose to celebrate what is right, that we have a God who is always with us. When we do that, we don't get consumed by our problems. We get enveloped by his presence. And we remind ourselves that God is for us, that he is with us, and that when life gets too much, his presence is enough. You see, Paul and Silas didn't just lick their wounds. They praised their God. And I believe that's a word for someone in here today or someone watching online today is it's time to stop licking your wounds and it's time to start praising your God. Because when you lick your wounds, that becomes your perspective and you get trapped in your pain. But when you begin to praise God, right, he begins to do a healing work inside of you. And I don't say that, stop licking your wounds to minimize your pain, because your pain is real, and your pain matters. I don't say that to minimize your pain, I say that to exalt your God. We exalt God when we're able to look through our circumstances and not get stuck just looking at our circumstances. We praise him for the who and not for the what. Chances are you've never been beaten and stripped and found yourself bleeding on a cold prison floor with open wounds and no bandages, with great pain and no ibuprofen, right? We probably never found ourselves in that situation like Paul had. But perhaps you have been stripped of your confidence as you've been searching for work for months on end. Perhaps you have found yourself crumbling to the floor when the doctor told you the cancer's back. Perhaps you still carry open wounds from hurtful things that your parents spoke over you. Perhaps you are broken over a relationship that was supposed to last forever and suddenly disappeared when your spouse walked out the door and never came back. I'm not going to stand here and tell you everything happens for a reason. Because that's not helpful, and at best, it's a half-truth. But what I can tell you is that God is with you, that he is near to you. I can tell you that when life gets too much, his presence is enough. I can tell you that you can trust him no matter what's happening inside your own life. I don't know if the pain that you're facing right now was caused by God. I don't know if it was allowed by God or it's the byproduct of someone else's choice. But what I do know is that he is near, that he is with you, that he is for you. And he doesn't want you to spend all your time looking for a reason. He wants you to look for him in the midst of your pain. Because when life gets too much, his presence is enough. Father, we pray that you would 
remind us, Lord, that there is no security in what you do. There is only security in who you are. And Lord, we know that we're all going to have these moments when life becomes too much. But God, we thank you that nevertheless, your presence is enough. I ask that your presence would come right now as we head back into worship and minister to my brothers and sisters in this room, all those watching at home online, all those who watch this recording later. Would your spirit come right now and minister to the broken places in our lives? And would you cause praise to well up within the the inner fiber of our being as we seek to magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen.